Good morning. Joining me now is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al, can you believe it? A day of 70 degrees on Monday? Oh, it's just, uh, we get the best weather in Minnesota, don't we? It's Mostly. It's incredible. <laughs> All 365 days a year mm. of perfect weather, that, except that one, you know, the every fourth year or so we get that extra day yeah. of exquisite weather. So I feel sorry for people that don't live here that just have to put up with the kind of weather they get. Well, you know, they don't know what is good then. See, they don't have it to compare with anything. So when we do have these days, it's so glorious, and then we can compare with other things. Yeah, and, uh, you know, everybody says I, they enjoy the change of seasons, but I think most of us really do. It's just uh, uh, we like the, the little difference. I know I just talked to a friend down in Texas. He lives way down in Texas, and, he uh, saying, oh, you know, the weather there is so beautiful, but before we're done talking, he was already complaining about the real hot, <laughs> humid weather that's coming. So yeah, it's, it's not perfect anywhere. I want to say thank you to the Fountain Lake campus of the St. John's community and also to the United Methodist Church in Allendale to give me a, a purchase to uh, babble from. They're just uh, wonderful people, and I applaud them all. The Hormel Nature Center, and I, uh, you know, I, I'm getting used to saying Hormel. It should, it's still Hormel to me, but mm -hmm. I'm trying to say Hormel because that seems to be what everybody says. But I know the family was Hormel. Uh, Hormel Nature Center has a summer adventure, uh, many different kinds of classes. And if anybody uh, would love to sign up for one of those, it's uh, HormelNatureCenter.org. HormelNatureCenter.org, and they're just wonderful things for for kids of all ages. Uh, Scott Kudelka at Miniopa said the transition of winter to spring means it will soon be calving season for the bison, with the first ones typically arriving in April, but some years as soon as the end of March. The herd should have at least 13 calves this Ooh. season, just like the last two years, if not a couple more. So, uh, I, yeah, I look, you know, I, when I go by there, I just, it's like a magnet. I'm always pulled in. I have to do that drive. I just can't help myself. Uh, usually I see buffalo. Do I see them every time? No, you, I don't know how those big critters hide, but once in a while I go through there and I don't see any, but it just... Uh, increases the anticipation for the next drive. You know, that was always a right for us of, of passage, so to speak, when the cows would have calves, because we had a big pasture, and part of it was very wooded. So that was our thing. When a cow was didn't come back and we knew she was supposed to have calved, we would go on the hunt. So we would go out in the woods and look and all the nicks and crannies, because they're smart. They they will, um, you know, put them try to put them in a safe place, and we'd find the cow and and the calf, and then we'd uh, bring it back to the barn so it would be safe in the barn. But that used to be our fun thing as kids is, well, we got to go. I think so-and-so had a calf, so we better go find him. So that was our that was our search and rescue. I, uh, I likewise did the cow hunting thing. And once I had a big red handkerchief, and I waved it in <laughs> front of a, a new cow because I wanted to be a matador or oh, toreador, no. and uh, it, it pretty much put me right on my keister. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, she was not happy with my shenanigans, and she didn't hurt me anywhere, anyway, other than perhaps my pride and my career hopes as a matador. But most of the time, they just 
just ignored you. I know we had a couple oh. that were problems, especially protecting their calves, but most of the time they are just so docile and wonderful that you can't help but just love them. Yep, and I, that's the only cow, bulls, deer, cows, that's the only one I ever had any problem with. And she was a new mom her mm-hmm. first time, and I, she was probably scared to death. And then she had some idiot like me out there <laughs> waving something in front of her face. So I don't blame her. I'd have done the same thing. Uh, there will be a public midpoint meeting of the Lesseur River Watershed. It'll be Monday, April 4th from 5.30 to 8.00 p.m., complimentary food at the Pemberton Ooh. Main Street Plaza. So this will be for watershed partners want to learn from the people, their priorities and their concerns. So if you live in the watershed, and the watershed is huge, it includes part of Blue Earth, Wasika, Faribault, and Freeborn counties. I heard the soothing call of a morning dove this morning, and Teddy Roosevelt heard that call, too, during his presidency, which was 1901 to 1908. He helped establish 51 preserves for birds, five national parks, 18 national monuments, and 150 national forests. He took time to list the 91 bird species he saw or heard on the White House grounds, and I found another list and that was made in 1908. He compiled a list of 93 species of birds he saw in Washington, mm. D.C. during his presidency. So it was pretty cool. He was a, a birding president. Um, my family was in Kansas to watch one member play in the NCAA basketball tournament, and the natural landscape of the state did not impress <laughs> most of those travelers. No. They just... Um, they were, oh, I don't know, derogatory, uh, dismissive of the beauty of Kansas. And I, on the other hand, revel in the beauty of Kansas. My favorite spot is Cheyenne Bottoms. It's a natural mm. geologic depression north of the Arkansas River in the center of the state, not far from Great Bend. Approximately 45% of the North American shorebird population stops at the bottoms during spring migration, and at least 320 species of birds have been recorded there, and I can't begin to tell you how much fun I have had at that place. Here at home, happiness comes in flocks. I heard the red-winged blackbirds calling, look at me, and that jubilant voice, to spring might even include uh, I know you are, but what am I? The red-winged blackbird is a polygonous species, meaning the males have many female mates with up to 15 females nesting in one male's territory. A successful male has a good territory. That's the secret. So he hurries home to claim it. Males migrate before the females in the spring and after the females in the fall. Well, what classifies as a good territory? You know, only the blackbirds know. It'd be a place that uh, is going to provide food, Mm because that's so important, and there's going to be some security, and they're going to want some water there. And uh, probably a place that's a little bit isolated, although when we walk the trails, we see them all along the trails, so that might be less important than it once was. But they they want security and they want food, definitely. And they want a male that's a good provider. And that said, the females will have um, extra, uh, extramarital affairs is the wrong (laughs) term, but they will will, uh, find another male to their liking on occasion as well. Hmm. 
I at the end of winter here I saw an ermine. Uh, weasels are brown in the summer and then they turn white in the winter. And this short-tailed weasel is also called an ermine and is known for its fur, which sometimes became the trim on coats. And Boy, I'd much rather see one than wear one, I guess. Uh, Diane Dunham, who writes a gardening column for the Free Press, uh, said in St. Peter's she saw a flock of cedar waxwings, and I understand you're seeing some cedar waxwings as well. I am. The trees have been loaded uh, this past weekend. It was, of course, warming up, and the, they were on the tree where the, the crab apples are and, and taking partaking in them, and there was a bunch of other, a whole bunch of sparrows as well. So just a, a lot of, of birds, and I, I think in our yard it's because we've got that pond in the backyard, and I'll see them then there taking little baths and flitting about, so I think that's a big attraction to, to our yard. But, yeah, cedar waxwings and all sorts of other wonderful birds. Yeah, the ponds are a definite attraction. And, of course, for the cedar waxwings, it's all that fruit and berries. They just love that thing. Uh, cedar waxwings would be considered a short-distance migrant here. Oh. Uh, boy, their winter movements are kindly, I would call them irregular, and they respond to the availability of food. These... Cedar waxwings are erratic in abundance and distribution, but I see some each winter here. But you never know where you're going to see them, where they're going to be. They're just, they're mystery birds, and uh, maybe that's why they wear those little masks. But what beauties They remind me a lot of cardinals. I mean, are they somehow closely related? Because when I see a cedar waxwing, I always think of it just as kind of a tan cardinal in some sense. Yeah, they're not, but they have those crests. Oh, okay, kind of hold them in the same way, I think, and yeah, they're just it's. I I love seeing them. I see them come into a hawthorn tree here mm-hmm. and eat the berries every year. I'm just so happy to see them. Uh, Jim Meyer said, "I am wondering if you would care to share this about p- pussy willows. I don't think they're budding yet, but I am hoping to go hiking and finding a pussy willow that I can harvest a few branches off without hurting it." I was reading how they are actually good early season source of food for a variety of pollinators. Then I saw this. The pussy willow hosts several species of butterfly, one of which is a viceroy. The viceroy looks almost exactly like a monarch. The viceroy is a thin black line that runs across its lower wings like a necklace. The female lays her eggs in the tip of the willow leaf. That is the preferred plant. The willow is a preferred host plant of the viceroy butterfly. Uh, Jim goes on another butterfly that will host on the pussy willows, a morning cloak. This is a large butterfly. It has dark brown or maroon wings that have a cream-colored ragged edge. The morning cloak overwinters as an adult butterfly. It will crawl into a small crevice, often in the bark of a tree, and hibernate. Said two more cents. Shrubs and trees are the neglected topic for pollinators and biodiversity. Monarchs and bees get a lot of press. There are probably thousands of important insects we are not even aware of. And boy, that is so sure, uh, for sure. Uh, beetles and ants, and the list is endless, Jim. You are so correct. The caterpillar of the morning cloak, um, they like the leaves of deciduous trees. So they're on willow, elm, hackberry, aspen, cottonwood, poplar, even roses, uh, birch, my hawthorn out here, and mulberry. 
So they're beautiful, beautiful, and anything we can do to to help butterflies, I'm all in favor. The Spindler family from Bixby said lots of robins and red-winged blackbirds. Mary Alice Hansen of Clarks Grove, she says she's hearing great horned owls every night. Allie Larson of Allendale said oof lots <laughs> of robins. Oh, the Fountain Lake campus in Albert Lee is looking into putting up an owl cam, and they have a place... Uh, a uh, huge facility that was built there, and they made sure they did not bother the nesting eagles there, which, well, of course, is against the law, but they were very um, cautious of doing any kind of work when the eagles were busy. So they want to put in an owl cam, or uh, I said, if I said an owl cam, I, I apologize, an eagle cam okay. up there so they can watch the bald eagles. And they're very excited about that. They've talked to the DNR and got the go-ahead, so now they're doing all the other things that need to be done to see if they can do this. I imagine a lot of it is just uh, getting the camera is probably the simplest part. The rest of it is getting up there and getting all the digital digital connections so they can do that. Now that one eagle cam that the DNR has, I swear it has different, a um, couple different angles, and also sometimes it does close-ups versus far out. Does somebody actually run that, or, or how does it do that? Because it's not just stationary, I noticed. Yeah, I'm thinking it's automatic, but I don't oh. know. I've noticed that, too, and it's a wonderful sight. Yeah. And, uh, but it does. It moves around a little bit, and I like that. Yeah. So you're not just staring at one the whole time. Uh, Christopher Burke of Mankato is seeing robins. Dwayne and Donna Swenson of Rural Route Wasika have trumpeter swans on their pond right by their house. Arlene Galligan of Albert Lee seeing robins. Molly Miller said yesterday I had juncos, a common red pole, purple finch, song sparrows, and eastern bluebird in my yard, among others. I saw chickadees and red-bellied woodpeckers excavating holes in dead poplars. Uh, Jerry Victor of Allendale sent me a photo of wild turkeys, and they've been fanning and strutting for about two weeks, in his, or two months, sorry, in his yard for about two months. And these are the turkeys that don't care for me. I stopped at Jerry's <laughs> house, and the turkeys see me, and they just they beat it. And then five minutes after I leave, Jerry takes a picture with his cell phone, and he says, yeah, they, they're back, so. Uh, an interesting question from a listener said, what bird is the loudest? Hmm. And we can think about the birds we hear here, and none of them won the competition. It's the white bellbird, oh. and it lives in the high mountains of northern Brazil and southern Venezuela. And their shattering calls reach up to 125 decibels. Oh, so my. that approximates the volume experienced by those sitting in the front row of a, a rock concert featuring Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> in his prime, probably. It'd be Al, right around that. Al, so. the loudest bird to me is whatever one is outside my window when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and mine is always a cat bird. He gets, uh, we have an arbor vitae right by the corner of the bedroom, and when they return and the <laughs> spring gets in full, full bloom, he's, he gets back in there and just sings, and he sings... Pretty late into the evening, and then, of course, it, before dawn, he starts singing again. And he's he's always very good. I admire <laughs> his uh, musical ability, but, yeah, it, sometimes it'd be nice if he just toned it down. 
And the first time I ever went to Florida, I ended up in a cheap little motel down there, of course, and a mockingbird sang oh. all night long. He just, uh, oh, he sang like a ringing cell phone. There weren't <laughs> many cell phones around probably then, but he was already doing one. Uh, like tools or maybe mixers from a kitchen, all these different kinds of sounds. And I tried to find him during the day so I could just make a lot of noise <laughs> where he was trying to have a nap. But uh, he was a, oh, what a talented bird. But he just sang all night. How fast do antlers grow? Uh, white-tailed deer, the buck's antlers grow as much as a quarter inch per day. Uh, elk antlers, they grow as much as one inch a day. And a moose can add one pound of new antler growth every day. Uh, heavy is the head that wears a crown, and I would think moose, boy, you would get a stiff neck. Some of those moose, they have such huge antlers on there, and... Uh, I would think, but apparently, you know, they're big and strong, I guess, so they probably can handle it. But I bet it's kind of a relief after a while <laughs> when they drop those and just go, oh, man, that kink in my neck's kind of gone. Yeah. So they don't need to, sm oh, they probably run off and see a chiropractor and line up 18, <laughs> 18 visits because yeah. I think it's 18 visits for a moose is pretty much standard. Uh, how do turtles survive winter? Well, freshwater turtles they retreat underwater where temperatures are stable and above freezing. And most are inactive, buried in mud at the bottom of lakes and rivers, but some remain active in slow motion. And if you talk to very many ice fishermen, one is going to mention just staring through the ice or something and all of a sudden seeing a, a turtle. So they are down there and they're moving around. The cold minimizes the turtle's oxygen needs. And while underwater, the turtle exchanges oxygen and carbon dioxide with the water through his skin and across a membrane lining in his throat. And it stores sugar called glycogen in its, all its organs. And that can serve as an energy source without using oxygen. Uh, a listener says, thank you to to you and Karen, how can I tell which of these red poles are males? Are they the red ones? It, a common red red pole has a red forehead patch, then they have black feathering around a yellow bill, and they have two white wing bars. And you are right, the males have that red vest. It's usually sort of a pale red vest. Once in a while you see one that is is pretty bold. But a red pole, what neat little birds. They have expandable pouches in their throats that enables a storage of seeds to eat elsewhere. Oh. And the red pole can tunnel into the snow overnight for warmth when uh, the weather gets really bad. So it's just really cool, the things that these little birds can do. And when I was looking around today, I saw one red pole. I had, uh, oh, you know, dozens uh, I, I swear the one day I'd had 150 of them here. They were just everywhere. And this nice weather, you know, they're out of here. They got a long trip to go way up north. So the one is still hanging around here for who knows why. He just likes it here and maybe thinks this will turn into tundra or something. But <laughs> um, the rest have gone. I'm sure I'll probably see some other ones as those that have gone farther south will be passing through the yard. But 
and I'll miss them. They're just uh, they brighten the. I love those little red berets and the, the goatee look that they have. Do any of them stick around the summer or not? No, no, they don't. No. Okay. No, they're out of here. Look quick. Uh, I think we might have talked about this before, but if not, I saw a big bee at the end of snow. What kind was it? I'm thinking when she's talking about the end of snow, it was when, while the snow was still a little bit here, probably melting. And it was likely a bumblebee. And Minnesota has, I want to say, 24 species of bumblebees. And it's a bee that overwinters as a fertilized queen, and they're pretty good size. So I'm sure that's what you were seeing. It's uh, I love bumblebees, and I it's just it's great to see things in the air. I'm seeing a lot of moths, M O T H S. A lot of them are flying around. They can uh, take the cold, coolness, not cold, I guess. But as soon as the weather gets Oh, in maybe 40 or so. They're out flying around. Who knows what they're up to, but they're just out flying around, seeing how the world has changed, and um, probably most of them seeing the world for the first real time as a, a flying being. So it's neat to see something out there flying around. When, when they come out, do they make new homes, or, I mean, from where they were hibernating or whatever you call it in the winter? Uh, I, I imagine they go somewhere else and um, hope that the weather stays nice. And and I imagine some of them, if the weather turns nasty, probably don't survive. Oh. But, yeah, it's just neat to see. It's neat to see all this life moving around out there. I see the robins on my lawn now, and they're running across the lawn, which means they are probably territorial robins here in my yard, and they'll be fighting with other robins. When they came in the flocks, there wasn't so much of that because they were all just traveling buddies going here to there, so there was no point of them fighting with one another. But now that's changed. The territorial ones are here and say, boy, you get out of here. What are you doing? I'm seeing uh, a lot of uh, great waterfowl, if you stop and look at lakes, a lot of uh, speckled bellies, which are uh, uh, oh. Greater white-fronted geese is the proper name to them, but speckle bellies is what they were when I was growing up, and that's what the hunters called them. And, of course, red-winged blackbirds are everywhere, killdeer are everywhere calling. I saw hooded mergansers, common mergansers, common golden eyes, trumpeter swans, canvas backs, sandhill cranes, uh, turkey vultures, a lot of common grackles, uh, robins. Uh, chipmunks, so I'm seeing a lot of things out there. So there's no shortage of things that we can uh, we can peer at. It's nice having all this activity and gives us something to look at when we look out the window. So so when I will the every- baby deers be coming? Because I'm I'm wanting to spray to my plants and things before they decide learn about the buffet. Because they say if you can catch it early, that usually helps to deter them. Yeah, it's mostly in May. That's the big fawn month. And the the state goes from the lowest deer population it has all year to the highest deer population in May because there's such an abundance of young ones. Uh, I just got a a young fella, sent a picture of himself. So he said, does a camel's hump hold water like my grandpa tells me? (laughs) Oh, this is a tough question because... Grandpas are never wrong. Uh, I just, uh, so uh, obviously grandpa was just teasing you. 
Uh, no, it stores fat, and the camel uses it as nourishment when food is scarce. And I know every all the old movies and cartoons and books and everything, they were holding water yeah. in those. But it, it's not true. And, again, I know your grandpa was right. And uh, the last one I have is what do killdeer eat when they're back, like now, it always seems early. They feed primarily on invertebrates, uh, earthworms, snails, crayfish, grasshoppers, beetles, and aquatic insect larvae. So you might say, well, what in the world are they eating now? Well, they also eat seeds left in agricultural lands. So that's what is sustaining them until they can find those other goodies. Um, Thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. My wife and I... We were at Cabela's. I bet most of you have been at Cabela's, big store with stuffed animals from the ground to the ceiling. And my wife decided I needed a pair of pants so I wouldn't resemble the man I am. (laughs) And she picked out several likely suspects, handed them to me, and I shuffled off to the fitting room. And the old guy in there startled me until I realized he was my reflection in a mirror. I tried on the first pair. I figured it was, this would be good practice for an all-day clinic visit I've got coming up. It's one of those visits where I get undressed, put on a gown, be examined extensively, get dressed, get undressed, put on a gown, be examined extensively, get dressed. Well, repeat as necessary. So the first pair of pants, they were too long. So I took them off put on the pants I'd worn into the store and walked out. And my wife said, oh, I like those. They fit nicely. (laughs) So I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, Spring is just, uh, what a great time of the year. It's just the best thing is filled with hope. Remember Heartland as well, we're driving past. Uh, Thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird, Karen. Thank you, as always, for your wonderful company. I I treasure it. Well, thank you, Al. It's always great to have you on, and we hope uh, you enjoy the warm weather, and we'll be back again next week. I look forward to it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.